Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Pixar does for directors in need of a bit of a bounce back. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Seb Patrick and Gary Bainbridge. Gary, you join us for the first time on Cinematic Universe. Um, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Because, yeah, they, they won't be familiar with you unless I guess they follow you on Twitter, keep up with your everyday life. I'm appalled. I mean, would you get Michael Parkinson or somebody? Or, I don't know. <laughs> Great tell North. people just who you explain, are. Just explain who you are. Right, no, okay. uh, I'm a journalist. Uh, I work mostly for the Liverpool Echo, but I have a syndicated column that goes all around... England, Wales, bit of Scotland, who knows? And uh, I've been a comics geek since I was two years old. I'm going to say two years old. And you're here today um, because James is not, because as we've explained on previous podcasts, James is dead inside. And um, we thought we thought it was for the good of humanity, really, that he does not discuss a Pixar movie. Um, so you're here to discuss Incredibles 2. And I take it you are quite the Pixar fan. Well, apparently, apparently. So, I mean, I'm not dead inside, and that's a good. <laughs> that's a good start. No, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of of the original Incredibles movie. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a huge Pixar fan. I haven't seen any Toy Story movies. Oh wow! I haven't seen that any is Cars. Impressive. That is yeah, remarkable. well, there you go. I haven't seen that's Cars. I haven't seen Planes. Thank <laughs> God. But no, I mean, I, I, the rest of the Pixar oeuvre is it's just. It's just stunning. It's just, it's just beautifully written. It's beautifully designed. The performances are just, are just, are just perfect. You, you, yeah, you would, you would absolutely have to be dead inside not to enjoy Pixar movies. What is wrong with him? <laughs> well, we ask him that we on a weekly basis. <laughs> Um, can I just uh, can I just state for the record, by the way, that I'm I'm irritated that like we we've actually ne- got a proper sounding scouser on the podcast, which means that people aren't actually going to believe that I even come from Liverpool. Um, Are you going to? I've I've been scouse upped on here. Have you? Do you do the thing that I do, Seb? Though, which is when you're around other people from. So when I'm around people from Leeds, my voice yeah. suddenly becomes very northern. Very um, much so, yeah. <laughs> 
So you'll kind so of become more scouse as the conversation goes on. No, I mean, when, when, when Seb was talking to me at the beginning of, uh, before we started recording, before you came along, um, <laughs> honestly, he sounded like Stephen Gerrard or Jamie Carragher. He was like, I mean, I've never heard anything uh, like yeah, it. A, a southern sounding pod voice. Posted up dolphins could hear him. So do I need to push this up then? Do I need to speak a little bit more like this? Do I have to be no, a bit you're, more? You're, you're a guest, so that's fine. Oh, right, fine. Okay, good. Just be yourself, which I think is the message of every... Pixar movie, if it's not directed by Brad Bird, in which case it has 12 <laughs> messages. We'll get to that. Um, so this week, because we're talking about a new release, we will skip over the latest comic book movie and TV news. Also, it's Comic-Con this weekend, or as you're listening to this, Comic-Con has just gone. The next episode you'll hear after this will be a Comic-Con special episode, as we do um, every year. So I imagine we'll have a, just all of the news to talk about then. So we'll uh, we'll cover all that next week. Uh but now what we'll do is we'll have a spoiler-free discussion of Brad Bird's 28 movie, 2018 movie, Incredibles 2. Um, and then we'll kind of listen to uh, a trailer for the movie, and then we'll go into spoilerific chat. We're going to keep the spoiler-free section pretty brief this week, because the movie has been out in other territories for a good few weeks already. And uh, judging by the box office... A lot of people have seen this all around the world already. I think it's something like in America, it's all, it's already like it's it's trending towards being the number two highest grossing superhero movie of all time, which oh, is wow. insane. <laughs> Just uh, and like behind Infinity War, I think the top three movies at the end of this year, box office wise in the US, could be Black Panther, Infinity War, <laughs> and Incredibles two, something <laughs> insane like that. Um, Yes, and so two's in fifth place at the moment. Just looking at the list, crazy worldwide. That is absolutely crazy. But yeah, Incredibles two is a massive hit. So we'll we'll just briefly talk about um, talk about the uh, the movie without spoiler specifics. Um, guys, Gary, we'll come to you first as the guest. Let's be polite. Um, Great. What do you think of Incredibles? And I think probably the best way to put that into context is what do you think of Incredibles two? in comparison to the original Incredibles? Where does it sit? Oh, God, it's it's it, it's close. It's very close. It's not. It's not the Incredibles. It's not the first Incredibles. I'm sorry, nothing is. Um, because, of, I suppose, because of the, the, the surprise of the Incredibles, um, there was something about the way that it, it just managed to meld that, that family dynamic and... Some some fairly big adult themes with um with just knockabout um superhero fun and and you know the 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 whole beauty of the of the the set design can you call talk, can you talk about set design in in, in an animated yeah, movie absolutely it's, you can yeah it seems ridiculous but no I mean the whole aesthetic of it is just it's just perfect the whole a whole fifties sixties futurist um aesthetic you know it's just it 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 dates it and automatically does not date it and just everything everything about that first movie it's it's just it's a perfect little jewel of a movie and this is oh yeah we've done it again um you know you've you've you've, that surprise that we had with the first one just just isn't there because it doesn't massively take us on from from where we left off um where do you sit, Seb? Do you broadly agree with that, or are you more positive, more negative? 
Um, I I was quite surprised by this because I mean I've I've always loved slash really liked the original Incredibles, and then I think when we by the time we came to do it on the podcast, um, I think there was you know there was an opportunity to sort of maybe pick a little bit more at some of the things that didn't quite work or that didn't quite work in retrospect, and I've. I don't like that I've started to feel slightly more down on the original ever since getting into that whole thing about the if you if you peel away at the message it being about special people being special and mm. and the whole Brad Bird objectivism thing which that kind of sat a little uncomfortably which I, I'm not saying it's definitely that let's, let's not get into that no but what I would just say is there is a there's a fantastic article out there um, which Brad Bird has actually kind of like. Uh, I think it was in the Den of Geek interview. They asked him about his, about being considered objectivist. And he said, like, there's an article on the Atlantic, which David Sims wrote. And that kind of summed it up for me of like, I can see how people can read that into my movies, but it's, it's not. Mm. And I, I, I've watched a lot of Brad Bird movies, rewatched a lot of Brad Bird movies this year. Um, and, um, I tend to, I would tend to argue, yes, he's not an objectivist, but he's just very interested in those themes because I think he explores them without necessarily siding with them. Yeah. And I think the problem with The Incredibles, sorry, uh, is the first movie, it it has that stuff in it. And I think that the fact that its central moral message is a little bit muddy, I think it's a lack of clarity that leaves Brad Bird open to that accusation rather than mm. rather than a particular stance would be my argument yeah so i mean uh, all all entirely valid but it does still just mean that going into this and there were a few things where going into this i kind of i wasn't like reticent or apprehensive or anything but i had that kind of niggling thing in the back of my mind about that also the thing that really struck me when we watched it for the podcast was the realization that i don't really think the original is a superhero movie i think it's a movie with superheroes in it but it's really a loving homage to 60s spy movie. Um, So all of that considered, a lot of the stuff that surprised me about this was lots of stuff that I expected maybe not to work as well really did. I really, really enjoyed this. And I'm not sure, and it would need rewatches, if I might come down on the side of preferring it to the original. Um, Because, for starters, it's a superhero movie. Like, if the first one is just a movie with superheroes in it, this is absolutely a movie about superheroes being superheroes and, and what being a superhero is. Um, I think all the stuff, Gary, that you talked about with the the aesthetic of the world, I love it in the first film, but in the first film we spend a lot of time in, like, high-tech, um, you know, retro-futurist spy environments, which look great and are fantastic. What I really like about it here is we are spending more time in the in inverted commas real world of the yeah. film, and I like that design even more because that's also like it's come out of the fifties and sixties merged with the present. But I think it's more interesting and more effective. Um, I do think this one is funnier than the first one, and I wasn't prepared for how funny it was going to be throughout. And my major worry, and we'll we'll get, we'll get into it more in the spoiler section. My major worry was that. It looked like the premise of the film obviously was going to be uh, Mr. Incredible's at home with the baby and Elastigirl's off being a superhero. And then there was one of those trailers that really made it look like the emphasis of the film was still going to be almost entirely on Mr. Incredible and that Elastigirl's story would be kind of happening in the background. The fact that that wasn't the case and the film was absolutely as much about what was going on with her and spent as much time with her, again, was 
really in its favour. Um, yeah, I, I I really really loved this. Maybe maybe because I had slightly lowered expectations for it, um, I came out of it having just had an absolute whale of a time. Yeah, I um, so I would say preliminary preliminarily. I don't know if that's even a word. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Incredibles still for me. I, I I find it difficult after one watch to say Incredibles two. I prefer to Incred- the Incredibles. Um, but they're both kind. They both sit. So I would kind of split the Pixar movies into three tiers, which is like uh, real classics, solid good movies, and then. Cars 2, Finding Dory, and The Good Dinosaur. And um, this, for me, sits in that top tier. It's definitely... It's like... It, it's a notch above the the more middle-of-the-road stuff. And, um, yeah, so it's in there with Wally, the Toy Stories, uh, the first Finding Nemo, Monsters, Inc., and the first Incredibles. They're the, they're the top tier for me. And um, I just... I love Brad Bird's action. I, lo- I, I love the characters that get the focus here because it's Elastigirl, it's Violet, and it's Jack-Jack. It felt like th- those are the three characters in the family that um, that Brad Bird had something more to say about. Um, and I, I think the, re- the reason that holds me back from saying it's as good as the first movie is um, I think the first movie has... Um, probably a bit more focus in what it's trying to say and what it's trying to do. Whereas I kind of felt like Brad Bird every five minutes was introducing a new theme in this movie and going, <laughs> hmm, that's really interesting, isn't it? Think about that. Anyway, stop thinking because I'm about to make you think about this thing instead. And like the fact that the screen slaver is thrown into the middle of this movie and has this huge, this this kind of, as a villain, this thesis that could be the theme of your entire movie and Brad Bird kind of concentrates on it for about five, ten minutes and then moves on to something else. Um, it's, I, yeah, I thought it was erratic in terms of its themes and, and what it was trying to get you to think about. But trying to unpack all of that after coming out of the movie and going, okay, so that's what he was, that's what he was exploring there and that's what he was exploring there. Um, yeah, it's, it, 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 it it pushed my buttons still. I, it was, I, I thought it was thought provoking. It's gorgeous. The action, Brad Bird's action is, it's on, it's on another level. Not, the, it, not many directors are able to do this in live action or animation. And Brad Bird, between this and Incredibles t- and, um, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol has done it in both. Um, they were, um, Coming coming out of of my screening, I heard a couple of guys talking about it, and one of the things that they were saying was that because um, the animation style had changed a little bit, and obviously it has kind of moved on, and some of the character design has changed slightly, um, that they didn't actually like the way that it had moved on, and and they preferred and uh, the the first one and found the first one more charming. I couldn't disagree more because I thought the quality of the animation in this was pretty astonishing in, in places. And and definitely a, a lot better looking than the first one, which I oh, think absolutely. is a great looking film, but this more so. There's a moment when 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 um, when Mister Incredible is carrying his his two sons up to bed, and it's it's dark and it's you know it's it's, it's exactly what happens, and and Bob's robe just sort of rustles in the in, in the breeze as he's going up these steps, and it's just this perfect bit of animation. And it's just that 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 polish that you only get in Pixar movies. 
and mm, I was it's just like the I, things that, that they would think about and think to do exactly it was just perfect and it was just a, and just a tiny throwaway thing that you know that nobody notices it's a bit like you know the the way that um that that um stonemasons working on cathedrals will will do a little bit of carving that's up in, in somewhere that nobody <laughs> else will ever see <laughs> so that god sees it you know <laughs> it's that kind of thing you know it, it's just just stunning stunning work and I think from from what I know about the production of this movie compared to First Incredibles, um, Brad Bird is a lot more ambitious with what he wants to achieve from his animation. A lot of direct side, if you think about the number of sets and the number of characters that, say, in, the Incred- Incredibles 2 has compared to... I don't know, Finding Nemo or Toy Story. The more The more characters, the more different faces you create the more different sets that you spend time in, the more expensive a movie is. And mm. the first Incredibles movie, they kind of had to recycle a lot of stuff. A lot of the faces in the crowds were kind of like done using a new technology that kind of like almost automatically created faces because they couldn't afford to design all of them. And um, is it uh, Tony Reidinger, the, the Violet's crush? His face in the original movie was kind of like one of those almost like it was just like, uh, that's a face that we've got that we can use because the budget was really stretched to its limit there. The first Incredibles made a whole lot of money. They knew that they had um, an appetite here and Pixar obviously has just such a such a box office track record at this point that Brad Bird was able to spend the money this time. And I think you can see it everywhere. I mean, so you look at a character like Tony Reidinger, who's basically, his face has been entirely redesigned since the last movie. And um, if you see them uh, face to face, like next to each other, which some, which I've seen going around Twitter, that comparison, it's it's so telling. It's so telling the the extra work that's gone into this movie. Um, I had not seen that difference, so I, I'm no. Googling it now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's really, really interesting. But yeah, so I think... Brad Bird had that extra money this time. Interestingly, though, another thing that he didn't have was time. They took a year off this movie in terms of release date. It was supposed to be a 2019 movie. But wow. because because Toy Story 4 was delayed, they said, Hey, Brad, can you make Incredibles 2 happen sooner? And from what, from what I am told, a year in animation time is insane. It'd be insane with any movie, but for an animated film, that's crazy. And I do wonder whether some of that lack of clarity in terms of the themes of the movie was... That's maybe where the movie fell foul a little bit. There's some stuff as well that I think you can... You feel like is leading somewhere, like a character like Void. I was expecting that we were going to get something different from what we ended up getting. Yeah. Um. But... I mean, I don't know. I'm hoping that he's saving it for Incredibles 3 because this feels like a movie that... I don't know, it feels like Brad Bird's not done with this world and he's not done with these characters. And that, the the thing about the first Incredibles, why everyone was so keen for this one to turn up, was because it felt like such a... It felt such a, like a no-brainer idea. Yeah, bring the back of the characters, have another adventure. Um, and yeah, I would watch them do it again in... I don't know if we're going to have to wait another however many was it fifteen years. <laughs> I suspect that if there's another one, it, it won't be like fourteen years. <laughs> mm. I, I tell you what, I'd like I'd like Brad Bird to go off make another live action movie, 
and then make Incredibles Such 3. Such a tremendous flop. No, I would like him to make another Ghost Protocol. That would be, that would be perfect. Um, uh, shall we? I, I, I think we've. So we all like this movie. Yeah, it's and we all oh, and we, and we all like it quite a bit. Um, are we? Um, are we going to? And whether it's spoiler section or not, because uh, this hasn't really been. This hasn't really come up as a question before on this podcast. But are we going to talk about the shorts? Oh, we have to. I didn't see the first five minutes of the movie because I was still crying. <laughs> she eats that bloody kid, doesn't she? <laughs> the gasp was, in the audience when that I was going to say, and yeah, there, there was the gasp in the audience, and then a couple of minutes later, though, I heard an audible voice going, I haven't got a clue what's going on here. <laughs> I mean, it's a metaphor, but you know. <laughs> it was, I think it was one of the more successful Pixar shorts for some time. Mm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I still have nightmares about lava um two or three years on but yeah i think this this was this was um one of the best ones that i can remember for a while uh although it's hard I, I start to get confused now with the disney ones and the pixar ones but um mm-hmm. yeah i very much enjoyed this and nice to see pixar um just delivering a movie albeit a short from um a director who's not um, a middle-aged white guy who's been with the company for about 25, 25 years. Yeah, I mean, when it when mm. it started, um, I did feel an element of, of slight cynicism over movies increasingly wanting to deliberately appeal to the Chinese market. But then as it went on, I was like, no, that that's not what's happening here. This is, you know, they, they've hired someone to do this and, and she's done a, a, you know, a quite personal story yeah it's about the asian american experience isn't it rather than yeah yeah exactly but also so universal Mm. uh, you know as as a parent you know it's such a universal feeling Mm. the idea of a of of a child slipping through your fingers it's just it it ruined me ruined me for the rest (laughs) of the movie we should say it's called bao yeah bao um yeah and it's uh it's really sweet um, because uh, I when I f- when I first saw a screenshot from that short movie, I was like, "Oh, that looks like it could be creepy. That looks like it could be <laughs> real creepy." Um, which, as I've said, would not be beyond Pixar and their shorts. Anyway, uh, let's take a brief pause for our listeners. Uh, we'll play the trailer for Incredibles two, and then we'll be back with our spoiler filled discussion of Incredibles two. So, are we going to talk about it? Why? The elephant in the room. What elephant? Mom's new job. It's time to make some wrong things right. Help me bring supers back into the sunlight. We need to change people's perceptions about superheroes. And Elastigirl is our best play. Better than me? Sweetie. I'll watch the kids, no problem. That's not the way you're supposed to do it, Dad. They want us to do it. This I don't way. know that way. Why would they change math? Math is math. Okay, math Dad. is math. Hello? Hey, honey. How are the kids? Everything's great. Is she having adolescence? And Jack Jack. He's in excellent health. Oh, what the? Num num cooking. Oh, my God. Cooking. 
Okay, that is freaky. You know it's crazy, right? To help my family, I gotta leave it. To fix the law, I gotta break it. You've got to, so our kids can have that choice. Thank you, young man. Combustion imminent? What does that mean? It means fire, Robert. The screen slater interrupts this program for an important announcement. Suit up. It might get weird. I'll be there ASAP. Where you going ASAP? You better be back ASAP. Right, guys. Incredibles 2. Should we, should we uh, approach it in a, a, in a chronological manner? Does that make sense? There's, a, I, there's kind of a lot of sequences that I would if like to can, talk yeah, about in this if, movie. If so. you can remember everything, which I always struggle with when we've only seen a film once. Ah, but uh, <laughs> luckily, because this movie came out um, a whole month ago in the US, um, I've got the Wikipedia page with the entire plot synopsis <laughs> on it already, which is very helpful. Uh, by the way, it didn't occur to me until Brad Bird was asked about this. Um, he was asked why it's Incredibles 2 when the first movie is The Incredibles. Yeah, I wondered yeah. about that one. And his, ex- his explanation is perfect. He's like, well, it's Terminator 2. It's not The Terminator 2. And I was like, okay, I'm on board. That's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a solid naming convention to back yourself up. That is not an explanation. That's compounding error, that is. I think it's just, it's, it's, the, um, it's the social network rule, isn't it? Lose the the, it's cleaner. Yeah, but so the social anyway. network didn't do that. <laughs> the social network didn't, no. Yeah. Um, okay, so the movie picks up, and I, you know, we were we were skeptical about this, weren't we, Seb? I mean, we were skeptical. We when we watched yeah. the tra- when we talked about the trailer on the podcast, we were a bit like, "Oh, the animation seems a bit. It's it's a bit uh, like I don't know. It's different. It's different, and we fear change." Um, but the, I, was, the- I think a concern that I had was voices which well. which was gone instantly for me uh, I, don't... I still the one that was the most lingering out of the trailer i still felt a slight difficulty with which was that uh i do think that sarah vowel sounds too adult to be violet i just think she didn't quite nail sounding young enough but everyone else, like you would not know that craig T. nelson and holly hunter are, are the ages that they are from <laughs> The way, you know, and Holly Hunter was spot on for those. Holly Hunter continues to be the best at this, and by yeah. this oh, I God. mean acting, voice acting, life. She's great. Um, so yeah, and the, but the thing we were we were most like thinking, hmm, that's interesting, was the fact that it was going to pick up straight away after mm. the events of the last movie. Now I've got a theory about why that is. I'd be interested. Do do you guys? Like, like, do you guys think there's some, there's anything in this movie that suggests to you, oh, that's why Brad Bird picks the movie up straight away after, rather than I don't know, shooting forward ten years in time when Jack Jack's a teenager and the kids well, for are starters, growing up. It means you don't get the stuff that's the best stuff in the movie, which, which is the biggest thing I expected not to say about this film. It's, by the way, As, the, it's the Baby Groot effect, isn't it? We all, we're yeah. all like, there's going to be too much <laughs> Baby Groot. There's going to be too much Jack Jack. Oh no, turns out just the right amount and great. Just give me. I mean, like, I because I'm I'm not someone who either thought a that Jack Jack was the best thing about the first film, and I no. wasn't especially enamoured of the short either. So actually, that was probably one of the things that 
I had the most amount of, oh, are we going to get shenanigans with the baby? And and we did, but yeah, they were kept to the right amount. And let's not, we won't jump ahead too much and talk about a specific one. Um, but also it was balanced with, and this is it, not not to kind of bang on a on a similar drum, but but having recently been a parent of a very small child, a lot of the stuff that, that Jack-Jack being in it enabled them to do with Bob uh was what resonated as well so yeah all, all in all that meant that yeah being able to have this film be about baby jack jack is one of the things that really made it and violet as well i would argue um yeah and kind of like well and, and just just really finding a different pressure point to push on that family dynamic um th- this time it's it's jack jack and having responsibility for him whereas last time it was uh adultery i would argue <laughs> <laughs> which is another thing we, that like brad bird has been arguing this on twitter with anyone who brings it up with him um not a kids movie it's like i, I saw some people on twitter saying 125 minutes but he hell does brad bird not know that like we we need to take our kids to this and brad bird would say it's it's not for kids. It's animated. Doesn't mean it's for kids. It's just a movie. An- animation. There are a lot of kids in my screening. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And it does. Of course, it does appeal to kids. But there is, um, in both this and the original Incredibles, a lot more. I I would say adult themes than than <laughs> yeah. your standard Pixar. Like I'm not sure I would recommend taking a. I mean, did did you take your kids, Seb, or did you? decide that no we're, we're, we're not quite we're singular, not at that sorry. stage yet um J- james got onto that stage with emmy earlier than i have we, we haven't tried the cinema yet but um, you know like i i would you know if, if you've got toy story 4 coming out next year i'd say i bet seb's on safe ground to take yeah. lois to see that i don't this this i'm not sure i think you'd need a, a little mm. a, a slightly older more mature kid because i mean like there's some scary stuff in there there's some there's some i mean um there is, and again, let's tell you what. Let's let's come back to it when we get to it. There is a moment, and it's one of those where I'm like, "Did I see something there?" And did, or did my brain make something up there? Oh, or was I'm there intrigued. something intentionally incredibly creepy? I am, uh, I am very intrigued about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so opening sequence. Um, it is. It, it's the. It's the underminer attack from the end of the first Incredibles, which I kind of misremembered slightly as being right at the end of the, uh, as uh, as in like just after the syndrome attack. Mm, but but it it's isn't, yeah. So the syndrome yeah. attack has happened in the city. Then they go off and dash does the sports day and um, the family and and Viola asks out Tony Ridinger or or he dash her out and um, it's it's three months after the syndrome stuff. Um, but the underminer turns up right at the end of the film. It's uh, John Ratzenberger, contractually o- obligated John Ratzenberger, and he. It's it's the Fantastic Four moment, isn't it? It's the it's here's the mole man, and the city's under attack. Best best call our our best crime fighting family to save the day, um, and that's the opening sequence here. Um, all kind of structured around Tony Ridinger retelling the events. Um, yeah, which was a nice way. Did you at all get a sense of? Do you remember? Um, well, we t- we talked about it on the Avengers episode. That whole thing about the what the original opening and closing framing sequence of 
Oh yeah, the, the of the Avengers uh, was going to be the Maria and Hill. Really, yeah, yeah, and it, and it, and when that started, I was like, is that is this film going to be framed like that? Obviously, it only ended up being in relation to that that um, flashback, but it, but I was like, that almost felt like it could be a, a reference to that. Hmm. And I I. I... I, I I I was I was straight away I was back in I was like okay yeah here is the family in action we've got all the family dynamics at play we've got who's gonna look after Jack Jack we've still got the parents reticent to let the kids get involved they still want the kids to be kids um, and also I was struck by the fact that like the Underminer gets away and he gets away with it and it's like the the Incredibles are there to like I guess like try and keep the destruction to a minimum, make sure no one dies, I guess. The Incredibles are really bad at catching people. What happens we can do the first one? Bon Voyage gets away. Oh, they Bon Voyage. Get... That's yeah. the spin-off we want, isn't it? Exactly. But, they, they, they get away. but what I will say about that, that sequence is, again, it, it's, it was one of the most exciting superhero sequences I've seen in anything. Because it ju- it totally gets that whole sort of kinetic power of of, of superheroes and just the inventiveness of of, oh, yeah. of the way that they they use the their powers because it's quite it's it's quite a boring power set they've got it's the Fantastic Four obviously but you know they're quite you know Elastigirl can stretch well so can Mister Tickle you know <laughs> <laughs> so what you know. Um, but what what they do what what they they do with that with those limited powers, it's just it's just so clever and and, and yeah just just and constantly getting things. them to interact with each other as well. Like, exactly. the interaction that's, that's the, the thing, and that's the thing we don't often see in superhero movies generally, even movies that are team movies. Like you never you never really get it satisfyingly no. in X Men. Um, we again to bring it back to Avengers, we all talk about that big sequence in the first Avengers, and the reason why that sequence is so good is that it, it is superheroes with different powers teaming up and using those. Yeah. And the reason why the airport do... sequence in Civil War is not very good is it's all <laughs> it's all characters <laughs> using their superpowers yeah. separately. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's not <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, and you know, even the first film didn't give us that because they're only a team at the very end. So yeah, here we get it in this opening sequence, and then we get it at, at multiple other points throughout the film as well. And it's great because yeah, that's what you want. They're a superhero family. You want to see them handing off to each other and and, and, and using a, them imaginatively. There's a diversity of power set as well because as much as yeah, as much as I love the Battle of New York in the Avengers. Thor is strong, Hulk is big and also strong, Captain America's strong, Iron Man's in a suit and that makes him strong. Black Widow is a good fighter. Like they they've not they've not got like this as much as you say Gary that the powers aren't that interesting. And I I agree, but there is a diversity of powers there. There's the Absolutely. There's the force fields, the fastness, the strength and the stretchiness and Frozone who is Awesome! I I love Frozen. Mm. That's another spin. Give me all of the incredible spin-offs. That's what I, I would. Oh, want. more more Frozen! Absolutely more Frozen! Yeah. I want to see his wife. I want to actually the... see her. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the internet does as well. It's uh, <laughs> that has been a I think a bone of contention with this movie. Um, but yeah, the 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 facts that the powers are different, and then when they interact, you can do fun stuff with them. Mm. Um, and and as well because you've uh, because everyone's. They've got the powers, but no one's really like tip top a hundred percent on top of them still. Like Dash and Violet are just learning, and 
Bob and Helen are old and trying to get back into the game. In fact, I would say it's only Frozone really who's like, "Yeah, I'm on top of this. Don't worry about it. I've been I've been doing this on my off days for years, and I didn't get fat like Bob." But that's the great thing about, about as well about Bob and Helen is okay, yeah, they're they're not quite on top of it, but they're not on top of it because they've got their three kids, mm. and they're trying to protect them as well. And I, I think that, I think I think that's a lovely dynamic because I know I know that's what it's like as a parent. You know, you can't you're never on top of your game because you've always got someone to look after. Mm. And and that and that happens to not just the parents, but. Dash and Violet as well, because they're constantly yeah. being asked to kind of help out with Jack-Jack and do this with Jack-Jack. And mm. um, I would say that I think Dash is the character that gets the short shrift in this movie, but I think that's fair because he's the least interesting, because, mm-hmm. like, 12-year-old boys are the least interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, like, you know, Violet's got stuff going on, uh, Helen's got stuff going on, Bob is tired, it's fine. Um, yeah. And Jack-Jack definitely has stuff going on. Uh, uh, in 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 the next film, um, uh, Dash is going to form his his Weezer inspired pop band. So, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, and so it, it and and so that all that family responsibility stuff is it's kind of weighing on all of them. But yeah, they've got other concerns as well, and it's it's the I guess the characters constantly trying to weigh up what is more important to them whilst they have to do all of this superheroing, certainly for Helen anyway. Mm. Um, it's at the end of this opening sequence, though, that we're introduced to Winston, um, Winston Dever. And <laughs> Seb, I was saying this, we we brought, we were talking about these characters when they were announced, and I can't remember whether the full names, but it's spelled D-E-A-V-O-R, the surname, and I mm. thought it was Winston Dever, and okay. Evelyn Diva, which I said and was like, okay, that's fine. When you realise it's Evelyn Deva, Evelyn Deva, <laughs> um, <laughs> you're like, ha, that's, uh, that's the villain then, isn't it? <laughs> and the movie is incredibly unsubtle. I think it's the one, I think it's the one thing that holds the movie back is that the what the movie thinks is a twist, or I guess it thinks is a twist, I can only assume it does, is something that we have all known from the moment that that character walked onto the screen. As soon... I mean, like, she's voiced by Catherine Keener, um, who, I mean, obviously has a fantastic varied career, but I think most recently um, is best known for Get Out. Um, And I just... It's it's Catherine Keener... um, voicing a character called Evil Endeavor and you're you're basically waiting for the villain to be either Winston or Evelyn it has to be one of those two and then you hear the name you're like oh so it's Evelyn then mm. but this is <laughs> and it is. Me about it about, about, about the movie is um, and partly because it's uh, you know three minutes after the last movie is have they learned nothing this is exactly what happened to them in the last movie yeah you recruited to go off and do some superheroing, uh, but it turns out the person who's recruited you will betray you. <laughs> Pretty much the only the only thing that's different is that like one of it's almost a surprise that one of them turns out not to be. Like yeah. I, I did spend most of it thinking, well, the other shoe's going to drop with Winston as well. Yeah, and actually found it quite pleasantly surprising. Yes. That's that's that the twist all of it all the way through to the end. He's absolutely on their side. Mm. <laughs> Although it's even even in the kind of the introduction of those two characters, the I, I, 
the movie's real sweaty with the way they introduce them. It's like, huh, let me tell you about a flashback to when our dad died because of a situation that kind of involves superheroes, kind of didn't. And yeah. now we have two different worldviews because of that. And let's linger on this story. And now let's move on. And it's uh, it's like, that's the moment where I feel the, the film really kind of grinding its gears to go, guys, this will be important later. Remember this. Gun, isn't it? Yeah. It's Chekhov's gun, and when, and when you know exactly where the gun where the gun is, where the bullets are, and when the, and when they're going to be fired, yeah. it becomes less <laughs> less of an act of tension and more of an act of like, okay, so when is when is Helen going to find out? And I think that's what the that's where the tension I I think lies is is Helen going to figure it out before it's too late, or is or you know, so are we going to get the third act that we get, or are we going to get the third act where actually? Helen figures it out just in time and they fight back without all of the mind control stuff. Um, but yeah. So Helen goes off. To, uh, she's the one who's recruited by um, Sol- um, Winston Dever and uh, <laughs> leaves Bob at home parenting. Um, and so should we, should, do we want to do Bob or Helen first? Because the, the movie kind of, it zigs in it zigs in two different directions. Oh, by the way, sorry, I've just remembered one of my favourite um, scene scenes in the movie is the three of them, Bob, Helen, and Frozone, going off to meet the Devers, the de- in in their like superhero costumes with trench coats on top. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's just a lovely touch. Also, it has a bit. This movie has a sexy undercurrent, I think. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the first one does as well, but I think this... I mean, because obviously the first one, it, like... The, Mirage is, like, is the seduction for... Uh, obviously, Bob wants to get back into superheroing, but Mirage is very, like, this very seductive force in the movie, and the movie is playing on, like the the like the the suspicion of adultery, but also the fact that when Bob gets his groove back and start superhero again that clearly their sex life picks up you know it's like that's that's just about as shallow subtext as you can get and in this movie yeah with them sneaking off in their superhero costumes under the trench coat it almost felt like they were sneaking off to a, like a little key party or something <laughs> um the scene where evelyn has helen tied up is like crackling with sexual tension there's uh, Bradbird has that in there. And I know Anthony Lane from The New Yorker has copped a lot of stick for his review yeah. about about Elastigirl. Um But I mean he's right. <laughs> he's like he, he probably wasn't right to <laughs> write an article about what a boner he got whilst watching <laughs> a kid's movie. But um I mean Elastigirl is voiced by Helen uh sorry, is voiced by Holly Hunter. She's real stretchy. She looks like Elastigirl. I, I don't... She's she's sexy, you guys. She's a real sexy character. Oh, absolutely. And the movie leans into it. There is a... I, I was the, mo- t- the movie has pretty much every other female character be interested in her to at least some extent. Yeah, the, the Void... The Void, the void thing the feels like it's well. beyond fangirling and yeah. it's a full-on it's a full, on, well, it's a full on crush. when you consider... Uh, who the void is quite obviously almost to the point of legal action, uh, visually modelled on. <laughs> so it, I, I, 
I thought it was Kristen Stewart. Are you on? Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. She, I mean, I mean, but but given that Kristen Stewart isn't in the film, I can only assume that they've just gone ahead and done that, not yeah. that they've said, "Can we base a character on you?" But she is absolutely one hundred percent clearly based on Kristen Stewart. I'd be amazed if that's not what they were trying to do. Yeah, um, and she is quite clearly meant to be a young gay woman. Yes, who I, yeah, I would agree. Is a massive fan of. Elastigirl, <laughs> you know. Yeah, we were in the Disney store, and, which is why um, it's also nice that like nothing bad happens to her. Yeah, um, yes. You know, she she just gets to be a hero at the end. I thought there was um, going to be more, though. I did think there was going to be more. I thought there was going to, and I thought there was going to be one great Elastigirl and Void moment, and actually they kind of give it to Violet and Void at the end. Um, yeah. which which felt nicer, like, and that's that's clearly a friendship thing rather than anything else. But it's just like. Oh, two teenage girls who are next to each other who both have superpowers and they just they get to bond for a quick for a quick second which um i thought was a nice touch uh but yeah i was sorry i was in the disney store um and they had a toy of helen on her motorbike and like it's but it's positively pornographic <laughs> so basically the question that i wanted to ask you guys is who wants to have sex with elastigirl you, everybody, you. <laughs> me and Anthony Lane. <laughs> yeah, I just, um, I just think she's it's a funny. very attractive woman. She's a she's sylph, a sylph. She's got a great set of pixels. Is that is that the expression? Answer, I, I, I absolutely cannot control this. <laughs> I just, yeah, I think it's very interesting that that Prepperd is very clearly like hinting at these adult themes without without fully exploring them, but they're in there. Uh, but so, 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 so yes, I'll go back to my previous question. Do, do we want to talk about the Helen subplot first or the Bob subplot? I think the Bob subplot is interesting because it again it follows the same pattern as the previous movie, where he's absolutely not upfront with Helen at all. Mm. You know, he, he, and there's this sort of strange situation where yeah, he does he does keep things from her all the time. He does. She she could do better, couldn't she? I feel yeah. She, 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 are you suggesting yourself? I mean, oh no, like Gary, if you want to say that, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stop this bit. I'm going to stop Do this. You bit. measure up to Mister Incredible. That's uh. the question. But um, yeah, I, I, that, that whole business. But you know, it, it, it's it's quite interesting. It's quite it's quite interesting the way that it mirrors the the previous movie, in the sense that you know he's he cannot be he 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 just cannot be straight with her at all. You know, he's he's got to be he's got to be he's a man basically. He's and he's got to be um, in control the whole time. He's got, to, or if he's not in control, he's got to make it look like he's in control. It's fragile masculinity, isn't it? It is the yeah. it's the it's the not only like I I no I I should be doing the superheroing and uh, no I'm happy for you, but actually I'm really fucking bummed out. Yeah. And I, but I think the I think the movie handles it well because as. Seb was saying we were kind of worried that it was going to be that was going to be the focus of the movie and also I think like parent who looks after kids and is just like swamped by it and overwhelmed and oh the mum was handling it fine but the dad can't is a tired trope the movie kind of has fun with that for for 10 or 20 minutes uh, and then kind of goes more into Bob exploring how he can bond with each of his children and yeah. and and how he can and how he can strengthen 
his family ties, which I think is is the more interesting side of that. And to be honest, I think the jealousy of Elastigirl is is an interesting thing to explore as well. Um, because yeah, he is a real <laughs> he's a real fragile dude, and he doesn't <laughs> like he tries to hide it. He's not very good at hiding it. The um, I mean the 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 stuff with just just purely the you know looking after Jack Jack specifically though. Um, does give us that that sequence with him reading the story and then putting him to bed and him waking up again, uh, which is, as I say, you know, it's one of those things that is just purely funny on a on a surface level anyway. But also when it's something that you can actually relate to, uh, becomes even funnier. Um, but it's just it's just there's really nice visual and physical comedy with with the cuts and stuff there. Can either of you as parents relate to the idea of your child having a silent movie fight with a raccoon? I mean, that scene. I mean, this is what I what I said on Twitter the other day, you know, it's it was it was it was one of my my list of like three things that are that are making the world slightly less shit at the moment is a superpowered baby having a fight with a raccoon because that was what, just what a know, sequence. From, from from the moment where you've got him, you know, watching that on the TV screen, and then he looks across at the raccoon, and you realise what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, that's just mm. you know, that's that's the best. Um, so, well, I say silent comedy. I mean, it has noise, but you know, yeah, the, the best silent comedy that Pixar's done since like the early part of Wall-E. It's, I it's what I think it's probably one of my three favourite sequences in the movie. Um, and like, I, I, what's I'm nice amazed is what other ones you think are as good as it. To be honest, yeah. Explain <laughs> yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I uh, we'll we'll talk about it. I think the because I love Brad Bird's action. I think um, mm. Helen on the motorbike sequence is phenomenal. Um, oh God, yes. And I also think the scene where Bob takes Violet to the restaurant to meet Tony Rydiger is. <laughs> Just the the character stuff on show there from everyone in that scene. The the fact that Bob blusters through the entire scene, thinking that he's like he's nailing this. He yeah. is killing parenting right now. Yeah. The that the water coming out of him. Violet's nose. I was going to say the, yeah, yeah, the, the bit oh. that I'd already seen memed from this film was the the nose water thing. <laughs> That and was, again, that, that just that was a huge reaction in in in, in the cinema. When I was uh, I just just the whole place exploded when 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 water came out of a person's nose. <laughs> That's the sort of level of audience that I was with, quite frankly. But it's great. It's it so great, and it's and it's it's one of those lovely little well observed character moments because that you, you you know what's coming as an audience member and you are waiting for violet to figure out why she's there and the second that she turns around and realizes that is a feeling that ev- that everyone can identify with that just oh, sudden yeah. that just sudden from head to toe you go cold and you want to shrivel up and die and your body just responds in a, like defense mechanism which is what is going on and yeah the water squirts out of her nose and it's amazing and the the amount of fun that uh, dash is having with it like i said the fact that bob thinks that he's absolutely killing it yeah. um it's just it's lovely and <laughs> because tony for the entire movie is set or for, like after the first act but before the end is set up as this just 
Like, his, his brain's gone. He doesn't know who this girl is. He doesn't understand why this girl is being weird with him. Um, and so he's just clueless to, to it all. I, I, I just think it's a really, really lovely scene. Um, but you're right. It, it probably, it's probably not quite as good as Jack Jack fighting, fighting a raccoon. <laughs> who'd, who'd have thought that teaming up a, a baby with a raccoon would, would yield such, such dividends in a, in a superhero movie? <laughs> Yes. So, what I I I don't know what you think, guys. The the escalation of that scene, the fact that you you think when you're starting to watch it, oh, this is going to last thirty seconds, and you're five minutes in, and it's still (laughs) delighting. And the fact that Jack Jack's powers, we so even in the short Jack Jack attack, um, where they seem to show a lot of his powers, we, we there are more here. There's that going to like the ghost dimension, or where or wherever he goes. Oh, he's another he's never he's another dimension right now. Who knows what he's doing over there? But we can kind of track where he is in relation. Uh, there's there's a few of his powers that we hadn't seen before, and uh, Bradford seems to find like genius ways to use each of them. And every every time one pops up, you're like, well, yeah, we've seen this power already. But he does something new that's funny with it in the next sequence, and the raccoon sequence kind of obviously has it all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just 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 agreeing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just nodding. It's, that's not how this works, is it? <laughs> We're just sitting here all just thinking about Jack Jack fighting a raccoon. Talking about Jack Jack, I mean, one well, he isn't annoying. I think that's great. You know, I was expecting like Seb. I was expecting him to be just really tedious and scrappy Dewey. And when was the when group. was the last time there was a movie with? So we we were worried about that about Baby Groot. I think we were all worried that Baby mm. Groot was going to and. Seb and I obviously like that movie to various different levels, uh, but <laughs> Baby Groot is not a problem I have with that movie. Um, and yeah, I'd say Jack Jack is the exact same thing here. What's can you think of like the last movie where we did get a Scrappy Doo, or we did, or we did get like a device that was just it was lent on so much that you're like, I don't know, is it is it is it like the Minions? Maybe is it the fat side? Is it like get get getting a Minions movie? Like just just giving them that that level of attention. I don't know, but like I, I'm just surprised that within two years those two movies have managed to pitch it just right. Because yeah, I I was expecting to hate at least one of those coming out. Yeah, possibly. I don't, I can't I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Now that I say, I think Scrappy does as as. Has ruined everything for everybody. I think that's, uh, you know we just expect we just expect children to be appalling, and they're not. Su- children are great. I suppose there might be those who think that uh, that Bucky is the Scrappy Doo of Infinity War. <laughs> <laughs> not me because I don't want to get beaten up by no. listeners. But. Yeah, I, that let's. I mean, let's not annoy the Scrappy Doo fans out there by dragging him down to Bucky's level. Even BB-8 in Star Wars, which is another one that I was expecting. Like BB-8 yes. is one of one of the triumphs of the new of the new trilogy. We've yeah, hey, maybe that's the thing. Maybe the directors have figured out how to work the cute potentially annoying. Did, uh, I mean, they just fair, say we are not having the Jar Jar Binks. the Scooby-Doo movie with Scrappy-Doo in it. What they ended up doing with Scrappy-Doo was one of the best things about that film. Yeah, that's true. James Gunn Take a bow. Uh-huh. That's the thing about Jack Jack as well. Why is he called Jack Jack? I mean, both his grandparents, his grandfather's called Jack. 
I don't, I don't, I don't understand. It's never explained, is it? I'm, I'm going to assume that Helen got to name the first two and that Bob, by <laughs> default, got to name the third one. <laughs> we call him Jack. He's, he's going to need a middle name. What? What? what Jack? Yeah, let's call him Jack Jack. Great. I don't, I don't, I don't understand it at all. I, mean, so, I could understand it if, one of the, if, I don't know, Dash had, had named him that, you know, was young enough to say, oh, we call him Jack Jack. But Dash isn't. Dash is 12 years old. There's no way he's called him Jack Jack. I don't understand it. It's the one thing that's ruining these movies for me. <laughs> um, what do you think about the Edna Mode introduction here, or the, the the kind of the shoehorning of Edna Mode into the movie? <laughs> so uh, there are obviously when you have a successful first movie and there is a supporting character who people love, you tend to try and find a way to bring them back, and. Uh, I think Pixar movies have done this before. Uh, Finding Nemo had obviously the first movie is very episodic. I think they brought back like one or two of kind of the like the characters that they bump into along the way in that in the sequel. Um, and Edna's the character here. She's she's the one that like I guess there's no one else who would make a huge amount of sense. But it's like it's like the movie's like okay, we've got to figure out a way to to bring Edna back. Well, you know, she's a foremost superhero cutorist, isn't she? She's 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 the one who who all the superheroes go to. So presumably, uh, Deva would have would have would have would have gone straight to her in the first place. It's an easy way of getting her into the movie. She makes she makes Elastigirl's um, new outfit. I don't know. That was um, I, I did quite like that that element of her reintroduction, which was that she what like you you think oh like is she gonna burst back into the movie angrily at some point because she's found out that helen's wearing a suit (laughs) that wasn't made by her and it's not that she's clearly put out by it but she's like okay i'll help you out here but (laughs) you've got to stop wearing that shit darling it's kind of the it's kind of the idea i kind of there there was a part of me that kind of wished that um at the end of the film there would be a new family outfit for the Incredibles rather than just having the same red one because I've always thought that the original Mr. Incredible outfit was better than uh, the red one uh, and it would have been quite nice if it had been kept, especially given that Edna made a big deal out of being their designer from now on. I was like, oh, does that mean she's going to give them new costumes at the end? But no. Well, we'll wait for Incredibles 3 and she can be in the opening sequence in that. Because, yeah, we we've always been very keen on the original costumes the the kind of the blue for mr incredible and that and that more white and red for helen head over to hulu this march where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long catch the acclaimed movie all of us strangers starring paul muscal and andrew scott stream the new hulu original limited series we were the lucky ones with joey king and logan lerman and don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. And Helen kind of, she moves with her costume in this, moves back in that direction, but it's like dark and sexy. And I thought that was one of the, that was one of like the nods from Brad Bird to like uh, a superhero culture of like, no, this is, this is what Helen would look like now if you're trying to brand her to be successful. She's got to have a bit more edge. So you've got the, the Elastigirl symbol has a black background and it's, it's almost like silver chain mail and the black gloves. Um, I know, I know, I made all the jokes about Helen being attractive, but I just think yeah, she's they were jokes were they? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, but That's she's she's an incredible feat of character design. I I would argue that I, I think of all of them, the the stuff obviously that that Brad Bird's able to do. But I just I like I just googled her then to like get the to get the silver and black Fair. costume and yeah, <laughs> um, and it's it's um. I don't know. I, I I just think it's it's one of the most impressive pieces of character design that Pixar have come up with. I think it's one of the most complete characters because obviously you've got the you've got the Holly Hunter voice performance uh, visually at like the and the powers that they're able to the stuff that they're able to do with her and she's what like Dash will be fast every time, Bob will be strong every time. Violet can do a couple of different things with her um with her force fields, but Helen has like I loved it on the motorbike when like the the fact that the motorbike detached in the middle and she kept stretching out um and kind of then like almost snapping it back into place. I just thought it was was so impressive. Um oh god, this is a good movie, you guys. <laughs> I'm not knocking it. I think it's, I think it's great. I I I, Some... I gone. Someone say something they don't like about it. I maybe the so I, I was. I mean, that's what I was trying to get at really with the Edna stuff. I like the Edna's back. She's a fun character, but it does again. It's another one of those things that it feels like. Oh, we're going off to Edna's house to do this thing. It doesn't, and like, it doesn't do anything that her appearance in the first film didn't do because it's. Uh, we take Jack Jack to her. She looks after him overnight so that she can do tests, and she gives him a, a costume. <laughs> yeah, you know, which admit you know the costume plays into the plot, but it is a little bit. Um, yeah, it's it's just there so they can do an Edna scene. With- and Ga- but Gary's right; it feels like there are there are more elegant ways of doing that. It feels like there are more elegant ways of doing the Devers. It feels like there are more elegant ways of doing Edna. And I think that's I mean- that's my slight my my slight qualms with this movie is that like I I think sometimes it is inelegant in its storytelling. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, the, the the plot in general is very straightforward and is delivered very straightforward. You never don't know what's going to happen. Basically, um, yeah. there aren't really any surprises. What, as we said before, you know, what what might be the only surprise is Evelyn being the bad guy. But even if she didn't have that name, everything about her demeanor, everything we learn about the difference between her and Winston, and, and what he believes and what she believes, it's like. Yeah, we, you know, when we learn about how her, how their father died, 
um it's like okay so so they're they're she's bitter about superheroes because she believes that superheroes weren't the people who would have saved them and it, you know you know where everything's going to go um you know what will happen with the elastigirl plot it's it, it's a shame because they they play this this the screen slaver stuff as if it's going to be a mystery and i think it's very well presented and, and that sequence at, at his slash her hideout is is great but yeah there's just nothing surprising you know that the incredimobile is going to turn up because of that remote control <laughs> thing that we've already seen um in a film like this, and given, despite what Brad Bird says about it not being a children's film, um, given who it's it's roughly aimed at, I don't think that's a huge problem. But certainly, if you're looking for things to criticise, the fact that you could pretty much map out every plot beat having seen the first 20 minutes or so is probably something that counts again. And there's it. just small moments that, again, feel a little bit... a, a little bit sweaty. Like the... The bit at the so when she captures the screen slaver guy and pulls off his mask and it's clearly someone we're all going like oh that's clearly someone who's been under screen slaver's control and it makes Helen seem like a bit of an idiot for five minutes because she's like oh no yeah I caught him caught the screen slaver don't worry about it all done you know like well, but but no though in fairness he does give her a really good fight he does he does but because he's being, I guess, what psych- psychically remote controlled by Catherine Keener is yeah. that is that how it works? I don't really know how it works. I don't know. Okay, so so since we've mentioned that, although I guess, uh, well, do you want to wait for it because we've jumped to that scene? But... Go into it. Let's do it. So, We're all over the place now. Yeah, this always happens. <laughs> um, when Helen goes to the Screen Slavers hideout, and we do need we do need to go back earlier in the pod because we've got to talk about that cycling monorail sequence because you know we're here to talk about superhero yeah. movies and that is a fucking superhero movie scene. oh god yeah um but when she goes to his hideout and when she first opens the door did you see the screensaver's face behind the door oh no no because i did and it creeped me the fuck out and i'm like so i was expecting a moment where it becomes clear that you know, I mean, we knew she was walking into a trap, and we know that the remote controlled screen slaver was expecting her. But I expected another moment that made clear that he was hiding behind the door because I am certain that I saw that face behind the door as she opened it. That's very Silence of the Lambs, it's very Ghost Watch. Mm. I mean, well, you know, when I see the film again and when it comes out on Blu ray or whatever, it'll be very easy to determine if it did actually see it or not, and how deliberate it was. But just in that moment, yeah, that, that felt like a very Mr. Pipes moment. I, I I think it was there. I don't think I imagined it, but I find it interesting that you guys don't seem to have seen it. No, not at all. Although I did see that. I, I saw the movie about a month ago at this point, so I'm like, <laughs> it's it's um, it's a bit more of a stretch back for me. I will be seeing it again, but uh, yeah, just didn't have time this weekend. Um yeah, that that all all of the screen slaver stuff that in that that fight sequence is. I know they've had to provide the epilepsy warning since, but again, it was another one yeah, of those moments really, of yeah. visual invention that I was just like, "Oh hell yes, I'm this is this is what I come to a Brad Bird movie for." Um, it just it just looks gorgeous, and it looks I I I, I it look it looked and felt different. I couldn't think of like the. Of the comparison point, like where it's like, oh yes, this is like X in another action movie, or like it, X in another it reminded me, movie. Well, no, it reminded me of the fight um, between Bond and 
the assassin in um, Skyfall, you know, in in, um, in Shanghai, when they're up, oh. you know, yeah, all the yeah. the the, um, the screens are around them, and there's the you know, screens from from opposite, you know, sort of like reflecting in. It was kind of like that, and again, and and also the sort of, I suppose the 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 brutality of it really shocked me from for a mm. for a movie that you know obviously I'm you know Brad Bird says it's not for kids but you know the the, the window display in the in the Disney store you know says otherwise <laughs> <That's definitely, yeah. laughs> um, you know it was it was it was quite it was quite a brutal fight and yeah it kind of, it kind of reminded me of that 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 Skyfall um, that Skyfall fight I've just realised. So, so I've just looked up to see if anybody else had, had remarked on this, and and uh, TV tropes uh, mentions that that he can be seen when she's coming through the door. But also, that's just it's made me realise looking at it as well. The other reason why I think screen slaver is is great as a creation, and and I find it creepy, it comes back to something we talked about on Iron Man three: broadcast signal intrusion. <laughs> Vill- villains who do broadcast signal intrusions are always guaranteed to be that little bit extra creepy because they can cut in when you don't expect it. So, Screen Cyber is a good villain in and of his own right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, it's almost like more interesting than the actual. Uh, the, uh, well, this is the thing because, because like, Evelyn has an agenda. Yes, but Screen Screenslaver has. But Screenslaver's got a different agenda, and you can't do it. And it's like, is that actually also Evelyn's agenda, or is that just something that she has bolted on to give the character a motivation? Because it's like, I kind of want to see a bit more of that. That exploration of yes. you're all obsessed with looking at screens. <laughs> yeah, and and that that for a minute, for a hot second, felt like. Oh right! This is what Brad Bird has been waiting to get to really dig into. You're obsessed with your screens. You're obsessed with you're obsessed with like seeing other people live life rather than live it yourself. And it felt like a, a comment on people watching. Like it felt like Brad Bird going, "I've seen you guys." getting obsessed with superhero movies for the past 15 years. Um, and I've also seen the way that culture has kind of shifted towards, yes, like screen obsession and, and, and all this kind of stuff. But again, it's one of those things that I, I, I think even though that Brad Bird has his villain spouting this ideology in that scene, I'm like, well, okay, so I guess what I always feel with Brad Bird is like an element of him agrees with that. But he's also conflicted and grappling with it, and he wants I to. I don't fi- know. He invented the iPad, didn't he? <laughs> Rob Bird, what in, yeah. in the Incredibles? In the Incredibles, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know he's, he's got to take some responsibility for what's going on. <laughs> but yeah, the, all of the the screensaver stuff feels like it could be a movie in and of itself, and it feels like it could be the theme of a movie in and of itself. Whereas then, when Evelyn actually reveals that. She, well, well, we, as we've suspected since she was introduced, that the Screenslaver is a front for her own villainy, and that actually what she wants to do is discredit all the supers because she blames them for her parents' murder, and she she kind of wants to destroy their reputation because. People have become too reliant on superheroes, and again, that feels like Brad Bird kind of poking at something um, in in the culture. Uh, but they uh, they feel the Screenslaver and Evelyn feel 
complementary a tiny bit, but their their mission statements are kind of so far apart at the same time. Like it, it feels like it's it's two separate movies, and that's what I mean a bit about the clarity of message of the first Incredibles. I think the first Incredibles never really decides where it stands on syndromes on syndromes plot, you know, like uh if I you know, if if I can't be super then no one can be. Is it that or is it I want everyone to be super? But at least at least what it follows through is syndrome from start to finish, and that thematically is what the movie's interested in. Um I I was reading a very interesting Twitter thread. I don't know whether just to quote it in its entirety. Um from uh David Chen who presents the slash film cast. Uh and he said essentially um that the movie's a blast but extremely muddled, throwing ideas and themes at the screen in almost haphazard fashion really doesn't evince the typical message discipline of other Pixar. Um and I think that's true. I think Pixar movies do tend to arrive with this is what the movie's about in its opening scene and by the time you get to the end that is what the movie has been about. But I think Brad Bird's a bit more a bit more complex than that. So this thread goes on to say, consider the first Incredibles, which for all its flaws is a classic revered film that builds up to an extremely clear emotional climax. Mr. Incredible realizing that his desire to do hero work is not as important as his family. In Incredibles 2, we have one, Mr. Incredible getting over his wife taking center stage. Happens extremely quickly, like before the end of Act 2. Two, a villain whose message about how we are enslaved by the simulacra uh, of our screens has no true counterpoint in the text of the film. Three, a conflict that is explicitly set up between what you can sell and what you can design, which goes nowhere. Four, Mr. Incredible realising how difficult it is to be a dad. In brackets, okay, they actually did this one pretty well. Five, Dever, the good one, uh, his de- his desire that supers should be able to help humans freely, which is basically the exact same theme as the first film. Six, Violet realising that taking care of Jack-Jack is actually good. None of these are inherently bad, but their exclusion feels sloppy. There are so many of them and none of them are fully realised. None of them feels as impactful as the first one overall, which was much simpler in its themes arcs. Where do you guys stand on that? Do you... I tend... I, I think the movie is successful at exploring most of those themes and most of those ideas. I think the movie does a good job of raising them and getting you to think about them for a short time, but blasts on by. And I think it makes for a more rich film to go back and revisit and to think about and to try and unpick and get to the bottom of. But I do I do kind of agree that it is... It's a bit of a mess with all of that stuff in there. And the fact... I, I think Screens... Sorry, Gary. I think Screenslaver is central to that for me. That he's there, there's this fascinating theme, this fascinating idea, and we just move on. I think if you're going to have themes like that, you're going to have a lot of different themes in, in a movie like that. You need to have them dovetailed. You need to have them. Um, you need to have them weaving in and out of each other. If you're going to do that, and I think you're right. I don't think it does do that in 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 quite that way. You know, other than the fact that it, that they're all you know they're all hung on pegs that the that the plot um, the plot gives us. Yeah, no, I, 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 I get I get what you're saying, and I think that's why probably why I don't find it quite as satisfying as the first movie apart from the fact that it's exactly the same as the first movie in terms of plot <laughs> i think that i think that i think that's what what it is i think there's just there are bits that sort of fire off and there are bits that that that, that don't quite work and 
I think that's. Uh, I think. I think you've got it right. I think that thread is absolutely right, if incredibly long. <laughs> Seb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're on, you're on the same page as Gary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I just I think... do have stuff to add, but not specifically about that. <laughs> it's, it's the truth. I mean, it's yeah, it's. Um, but then you know, is 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 juggling these things perhaps uh, a metaphor for uh, Bob's struggle to to juggle being uh, a parent <laughs> alongside being a superhero? Wow! Oh, nice. You just dug, you, you just unpicked it all, Seth, right there. <laughs> you just saved Incredibles too. <laughs> I did like, I mean, you know, the the, the representation of that tiredness uh, is very real. And and again, you know, I seemed, seemed to have a very commenty audience in, in the screening that I went to at the Crosby <laughs> Plaza the other night. Um, but, but, I, but at one point, like a male voice from the audience, I heard him loudly go, yeah, I can relate to that. Um, <laughs> And, and and I'm I'm kind of slightly wary of of anything that kind of overplays how tired the dad gets in the first year or so because you know for the mum it's probably far worse but definitely that identifiable thing of you just resign yourself to the fact that that sleep is not a thing you're going to do for any length of time regularly anymore um, and just walking through life with just everything is just a little bit slower you 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 your entire body and and your face and the way that they kind of portrayed the, the visual of his face um everything just slightly slows down and changes and yeah um that was that was really well portrayed i mean you know bearing in mind that he's a super strong superhero and this happens after about a day of having to look after jack jack um you know maybe he should slightly uh be a bit more resilient to begin with but yeah it was a nice little representation of of uh recent fatherhood but this is what you have to do when you've got an invincible superhero it's you have to give them a weakness that their powers cannot um hmm. cannot cannot you know do not give them any sort of advantage that's why superman is uh, Superman has been so good. You know, that's why you give him somebody like Mr. Mix, he has bit lick because he can't touch magic. Or you give him Lois Lane because, you know, he cannot, he cannot, well, he obviously does win Lois Lane and have a kid and all that malarkey. But, um, you know, traditionally, you know, he, he, all his powers, uh, you know, prevent him from, you know, do not help him from, you know, winning Lois Lane as, you know, a, as 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 a man rather than a superman, um, and and it's exactly the same with 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 Incredibles too. You know, you, it doesn't matter how strong you are, how physically strong you are, kids tire you out. Yeah. So yeah, so basically, what you're saying is that Jack Jack is this movie's Mister Mixel. Blah, 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 blah. Mixie, yes, one day, Come one on, day this is you'll easy. learn how to pronounce it. No, nope. I've I've shown you it written <laughs> phonetically by John Byrne, and you still don't get it. By John Byron, John Byrne. <laughs> I can't complain. I still, I still call um, Jack Kirby's character Darkseed. I can't help it. It's uh, do you it know because I can't, be- I can't believe it. I can't believe that he'd be so on the nose to call a character Darkseid. <laughs> you know, but no, it's one of every time I read it that I have to correct my brain because that's what it automatically says. Yeah, at least he's not called Dark Endeavor. 
Um, for all of the for all of the transparency of the plot, I do like Evelyn as a character. I like Winston and Evelyn. I kind of like that double act. And I think, you know, sometimes when you go back and you watch a film the second time and you know all the twists and turns and you're able to appreciate it a little bit more, it kind of did help to an extent that from the moment they walked on, I knew what the twist was. I knew she was the villain. Uh, it was just a case of how and why it was revealed. And so you, you're kind of able to sit back from that element of the film and just go, okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna watch how this unfolds as if I'm watching it for the second time and just enjoy the nuances of the character and of the story. And like when she says something, I'm like, ah, so that's hinting at that or that's hinting at that. And I mean, she she uh, does mean that that like this film passes Bechdel quite quite strongly and even you know yeah. you you get scenes later on with her and elastigirl and void talking to each other in the same scene and it's like oh wow and this is going on in a superhero movie that's uh well, and we've got I, I, violet I, I, and edna and yeah i mean i'll be honest i i i didn't see i didn't see it coming for uh, yeah i mean I, I saw that one of them would do it and i kind of assumed it would be the brother but um, there's a oh, lovely really? moment. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just dozy. But <laughs> there's, there's a lovely moment. I think when, um, when Evelyn says, um, you know, is talking about the fact that she's, um, she, she's the, she's the one behind the inventions, and her brother, her brother, you know, sells the stuff, and she invents. I can't even remember what it was. She had invented something, and there's just a little moment where Lassie looks at her and goes, hmm good one and, you know it's a good for you sort of mm. sort of moment and i thought oh yeah i'm on board with her now i quite like her i'm going to be really disappointed if she is the baddie <laughs> no but she won't be she won't be it's the other guy it's, it, she um and, and and i think that i think i think that was quite nice i think she she is a very um she's a likable character yeah i would even I would even, totally even as a villain she i, I really like her I, I kind of wanted to get away with it somehow yeah, I there's there are there are films like that where I'm like, ah, do you know what? I like this. I like this villain so much that I do kind of want them to get over. And also, I love the I love the like little injection of cynicism at the end of the movie from Bad Brad Bird when Violet says, "Yeah, oh, she's super rich. She'll be out of prison in a few years. And it'll, like <laughs> yeah. in no time anyway." Um, you you don't normally see that in these kind of movies. It feels perfect. It feels perfect for 2018. That kind of that kind of ah, oh, there is no justice. It doesn't matter. We can have all the proof. We can know exactly what's been going on where. We can catch them red-handed. They're rich. They'll get away with it. Yeah, yeah. Such as Brexit. Such as Trump. Such as Incredibles too. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, and it and it is a really nice touch. Um. I guess the screenslaver stuff does kind of continue in terms of the tech, and the tech is so obviously the goggles are the things that uh, that entrance the supers in the back half of the film. And Brad Bird is real good with tech. I rewatched um, Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol this weekend, and the sequence in that movie—I'm not sure if you guys remember it—where they kind of. Um, Tom Cruise and Simon Pegg erect this screen in a corridor and have to slowly keep moving it further forwards. And it's like, there's a camera behind it that is tracking the security guard's eye and is constantly readjusting the, the kind of what is being projected up onto the screen. It's just, it's simple, but it's 
it's gorgeous. It's just it's it's this tech that feels like it could it could exist in our real world, but is just is just like clever enough that it feels fantastical at the same time. And Brad Bird obviously did this in the first movie, um, but he is the, the retro futurist stuff here is great. So, like we said, Helen on the motorbike, all of the screenslaver stuff, um, the even even the the kind of like the Jack Jack controls that we get at the end of the movie. <laughs> uh, Brad Bird's just he's he's really really good at it. And Seb, it goes back to what you were saying about the first movie feeling like feeling like a bit more of a spy movie then it feels like a superhero movie. It is, it's Bond, isn't it? When you introduce a piece of tech that almost feels too good for that era, <laughs> it feels like it, yeah, it feels like a Sean Connery Bond movie when they're doing that kind of stuff. Like, hey, look at this cool stuff that's existing in kind of like a 60s. Well, I was going to say, because you say that era, but there is very, The Incredibles is not set in any recognisable era. It's not, even though stuff looks 60s-ish, it's not set in the 60s. Because there's, there's there is tech that you know there, there's everyday no. tech that that exists. It's not set in a realistic present day. But sixties is the look, touch, look is the aesthetic touchstone, isn't and it? And people watching the news through uh, uh, the windows of TV shops. Um, it's it's a parallel world, and the year it could be set in could be anything from nineteen sixty to twenty sixty. It could be in a future where. Um, that style has become predominant. So, you know, that that gives me less of an issue with with ridiculously advanced tech like goggles. Oh, it's not Which, it's not I mean, an issue. It's just it's I just love the yeah. meshing of the two. I mean, it aesthetics. is it is, is bondish, but it is also superheroish. Frankly, mm. you know, that's that's what superheroes do. How much how much of Batman's tech is is James Bondish? You know, yeah. Um, and and yeah, I mean, uh, and speaking of, and you know, if, to circle back to it, but speaking of superhero-ish, that's what this film has, which I think the first film maybe doesn't to at least the same extent, which is a big massive set piece that is absolutely 100% a superhero movie set piece. The final, um, the final act he's talking no, about. No, the, no, the, the, the monorail bike chase, which oh, we've mentioned a couple yeah. of times, but we haven't actually talked about in detail because oh, let's talk about it, it is it is, yeah, that is so good that is i mean it's not quite spider-man 2 train levels but it's it's definitely it, it, it's kind of the, the train sequence from spider-man 2 crossed with the bat pod sequence from the dark knight the, the action in the sequence is better than both of those the way it's the way it's shot at the, the what brad bird does with his in inverted commas camera is phenomenal. I I just I I like stand in awe at what that guy is able to do with action sequences. Um, yeah, again, just this weekend I was watching Tom Cruise run down the Burj Khalifa with a with a <laughs> with a hose wrapped around his waist, um, and my jaw dropped at moments in this film the same way it did in that movie. I just think Brad Bird and action it doesn't. It doesn't get much better. Yeah. His his eye for just how to make how to make a shot that that extra notch more kinetic, or to find an angle on the action that obviously animation kind of allows you a bit more freedom in that in that regard that you can kind of put the camera in places that it would physically. I mean, I guess they do it in CG and through CG anyway in in normal live action cinema, but yeah, it's just it's. Um, it's like poetry in motion when 
when Brad Bird gets going on an extended action set piece. And I think that's my favourite one in the movie. But there's a clarity to it as well. You you know exactly what's going on at any point in mm. that sequence. And that's, I mean, that's the difference between, between a really good action sequence and a poor one. You know, you've no, it's, it's, it's the, again, back to Bond again. It's, it's Quantum of Solace. It's the, uh, it's, it's the rope fight in Quantum of Solace. You have no idea what's going on. Um, you know, it, but with this, you know, it's, it's just perfect. Okay. There are, there are, there are, there are, um, there are fast cuts in this, but you don't know exactly what's going on at any point. It's just perfect. It just pulls you through. You've got an idea of the, geog- the geography of the city. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got, and, and I would say as well, as well, the best action does what you just said. It also is grounded in character. And throughout that entire sequence, because we know Helen, the decisions that she makes, the the kind of like the little moments of dilemma that she has where like, do I go this way, that way? Do I, do I go over the train? Do I snap back? Like it, it I don't know. You're right. You're right there with her all the way through. Um, I just, yeah, I watched that entire sequence with my jaw, like mm. <laughs> on my chest going like, how does it look this good? Yeah. Cause conceptually you're right. You sort of, you sort of, there, there are lots of, there are lots of train sequences. There are lots of runaway train sequences. Um, that even, I mean, Mission Impossible. There's a runaway train sequence with like people running on top of a train. Um, that's that, that's what's happening here as well. Um, but yeah, Brad Bird does does stuff with it that that um, I mean, I'm not qualified enough to talk about like like the actual choreography of the thing. Um, but yeah, it's gorgeous. I I loved every second of it. And you're right, Seb. It felt more superhero-y. Also, the uh, I, the reason I thought we were talking about the third act was because that was the moment where suddenly there are superheroes everywhere, running left, right, and center. And mm-hmm. like you've got uh, Bob, you're going to go over there and do this thing with the propeller, and uh, Dash, you're going to go over here, and Void's over there doing that thing, and she's creating the wormholes for Elastigirl to fall through. And while she's, and it's just, it was this. I mean, the only the only thing I will say about that that sequence is, if it takes that many superheroes to stop a a <laughs> runaway ship, I mean, to essentially stop the plot of Speed Three, no, Speed Two, sorry, Speed Three was the Father Ten episode. If it takes that many superheroes <laughs> to essentially stop the plot of Speed Two, um, I'm not sure how powerful superheroes they all are. Um, because you know that that should be a one superhero job, a two superhero, a, a multiple superhero job should be like that's an alien spaceship about to crash, not not a ship. <laughs> it's cool though. It's cool. It's cool. It's a yeah. it's a nice sequence, but yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, what do you think about um, all of the new superheroes who were introduced? Again, I kind of thought we were going to see a bit more of all of those, but. Um, yeah. It kind of felt like it was the it was the refreshing, different aspects of this movie. I thought, especially in some of the character design, it was like, oh right, okay, <laughs> some of these characters are not what I expected in this world. I like the the Crusher guy, and there's that fun bit with him blocking the entrance to the to the room, and he and like being appalled at the idea of being asked to uncrush. And does he say to Bob something like, uh, "Does anyone ever ask you to unpunch something?" Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's really I did, good. I did like it when when they brought in the the the, the range of superheroes, but it just reminded me so much Deadpool two. Mm. <laughs> when you bring in X Force, and I thought, what's going to happen to these people? Are they going to be chewed up yeah. by? Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, no, it was, it, it, they were fun. They were fun because the 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 powers. I mean, oh, Reflux's power was was just. I mean, he's the most Deadpool it's proper one, isn't laugh, he? Proper laugh out loud when he actually just vomits that 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 that, that lava, and you think, well, that's. There's not much of an application there for superheroes. I'll be honest with you. There's not. And what does he say? He says something like, "He says something like, I'm not sure whether it's a superpower or just what's it like acid reflux or something like that." <laughs> yes, yeah, is it a superpower? Is it a medical condition? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's it's um, not it's not a great it's not a great power for a superhero. Villains would totally get away with that. A villain who vomits lava, I'm up for it. But it's it's not it's it's a difficult power for a, for a superhero to pull off. Um, as, aside from uh, the um, you know the um, obvious inspiration of the character designer and what I liked about the personality, I did like Void. I, I like the fact that her powers are basically the game portal. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, well I, I feel like is have we not seen another character that does? There's an X Men character that does that, right? What that kind of opens portals? Yeah, um, Nightcrawler teleports, but. It's not. It's not as common as you'd think. Does uh, it sideways power. do something along those lines? I haven't really been following it, but sideways. Uh, Dan Dadio. How do you pronounce that? Dan Dadio. Oh, I don't know. Dan, doesn't yeah, he do one? The, yeah. The, I haven't. I haven't read it, but um, I mean. Oh, and um, Doctor Strange and Wong. Oh yeah, the, yeah. Uh, Doctor Strange is probably what you're thinking of. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's the. I mean, not in films, but there's the Spot, the Marvel villain, who sort of. Does yeah. That. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but I mean I I think I mean as you say it is yeah it's recognisable from Doctor Strange and Doctor Strange was doing it in Infinity War but it's a relatively underused power but again I think it's it's used nicely here it's they play with using it to catch things that are falling as well as using it to appear behind somebody and hit them and that kind of thing so yeah yeah I think that's what I would like to see if they do an Incredibles three is like a world where superheroes have returned after beat so like again that's kind of like a theme that the movie sets up of like <clears throat> oh you're they're back but actually no one had no one has embraced you yet so what we're gonna do is go out on a big pr blitz and that's there in the first act and it kind of falls away for all of the other for all of the villain stuff um uh, but I, I like that's another thing that i don't think we've seen like we've seen like worlds post superheroes or superheroes emerging for the first time but yeah a world where superheroes have kind of disappeared and then people shunned them and they have to kind of figure out a way to get to get back into the into the spotlight and and yeah that you've got like two generations of heroes you've got elastigirl who's done it all before and then you've got void who kind of grew up liking her but has kind of been like on the fringe of society because superheroes weren't an accepted thing anymore i'd like I'm, to see i'd like to see all of those dynamics played within a third movie i'm I'm generally very much in favor of superhero stories that are about uh how the world reacts to superheroes and what superheroes mean to people in the world that kind of thing has always really pushed my buttons in in comics and in films and tv shows so yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that that would be good. Um, I would like to talk about something that I was not comfortable with in this movie, and that was Jack Jack as Edna. 
Oh, yes. Thought it, was, <laughs> thought it was creepy, you guys. Didn't like it. What I like even less is the pop vinyl of Jack-Jack as Edna, which looks like, which just looks like Edna in a diaper. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that moment, actually. <laughs> Did we block it out? Or maybe we blocked it out. I don't oh, know. Oh, God, and I've just looked up the pop. That's horrible, right? It's really horrible. <laughs> I mean, they're all they're always so bad, but this one manages to be particularly bad. I feel I I so I own two pops because every so often one turns up and I'm like, oh yeah, I do. I'd like I do like that, even though I kind of dislike the actual design of them in general. Every so often, like I've got the Agent Carter one because of course I have. Um, yeah, but this this one's an SDCC exclusive, so it's one of the ones that's for idiots to buy. <laughs> Oh dear. Um, I guess we. I guess the character we haven't massively talked about is Violet because she's the character. I think she's probably she's the character with the most interesting interior life of of all of them. She's got a lot of stuff that she's trying to grapple with, and I think probably like a teenage girl is is uh, has has more stuff going on than mm. all of the rest of them. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of I, I I could just watch her interacting with the world. I like I like her awkwardness, I like her kind of uneasy relationship with her powers, with her family, with the responsibility she has, with balancing like a teenage crush with actually the like should I be more focused on the responsibility I have for my siblings? All, all of that stuff, and I, I just, I, I, I loved watching her all the way through. Um, I thought it was slightly odd that her big triumphant moment at the end is now nah, I'm just gonna look after Jack, Jack. Uh, but I bet, I, I guess what it essentially is doing there is giving her the, the big moment from the end of the first film, which is, uh, family. That's the, that's the important thing, and actually we're stronger as a unit when we're just looking out for each other. I think I mean I was never a teenage girl, but something about her ring, rings rings incredibly true to me. She just seems like I I I, I get her. I see. I I understand her. I see. I see who she is. I think. Yeah. No. I think you're right. I think she's 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 one of the more rounded characters in in the film. No, in a, in a, in a, in a film of fairly rounded characters, I'll give yeah, her that. Yeah. Yeah. But I yeah I I just see that 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 awkwardness and that that. And and the fact that she's sort of growing into her powers, and just the whole that 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 you know that that allegory allegory rather for um for adolescence and no I think I think I think yeah I think Violet Violet's great Violet definitely grows in the film because I mean the, the 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 previous film it's 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 about it's about male growth it's about uh, if you pardon the expression it's about um it's about Bob learning to to be you know. Learning to be a better man, and it's about it's about Dash learning that you know he, he learning to to be himself and to not you know to be unapologetically himself, and you know and and you know you get you get Elastigirl, yeah Helen who's who's kind of the wet blanket in the in the original movie. In this, she's not. She's like she's she's a proper badass superhero. And and I love that. Mo- I love those moments of uh, you know, sort of. I, I'm not. And I'm, I'm I'm scared. Of, I'm scared of saying this. I am not in any way, um, playing down what it's like to be a mum. 
But the, the the powerful moments in this for me are when she she sort of says, "Yeah, no, I'm I'm a mom, yeah, but let's just push that aside for a minute because I'm also this really incredible superhero." And I, I love those moments in it. I love the fact that you know she's she's on the bike when the when we're going past the when, when she's chasing the uh, the the monorail, and she gets the call from uh, she gets the call from Violet. You know, I've, where's my homework? I've lost my book, whatever it was. And she deals with it like like a mum would, and then she's straight back into it. She's straight back into um, stopping this train. I love moments like that in, the, in and this movie. I, I, what I really like is how much the movie allows Elastigirl to enjoy it, because yeah. a lot of the time you uh, you see these movies making that that like you, you've got the slightly immature male hero, and so the female hero has to be the one who's like. Right, I, I'm just, I, I, I'm taking things very seriously. I'm going to be a bit of a wet blanket here, yada yada yada. Mm. The the phone call that she has after that with Bob, where she's like, "So is everything okay at home? Everything's fine." And Bob's like, "Yeah, yeah, it's fine." And she's like, "Right, great, because I had the best time. <laughs> yeah. You'll never guess what I did. I like, I saved this monorail, and like, I was on TV, and everyone loved it, and like, it was so good being back out there." Um, she's a joy. She's an absolute joy. Um, it's great being she is that. Be- she it's is great being that person Bob. that you know you, you sort of rediscovering that person that you were before your mum or dad. I think that's a really that's a really powerful. Um, that's a really powerful thing for for well, particularly for parents because yeah. you know you, you you do compromise yourself in 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 a lot of ways when you um, when you become a parent. And it's just lovely to just see her sort of break out of that for a minute and go, oh, yeah, I was really cool before before all this. <laughs> um, Brad Bird has talked about, like, that kind of being the, the the inspiration for this film, just going, like, he's just like, oh, yeah, what if I reversed the dynamic from the first film? What if it was this time Helen is superheroing and Bob's at home? Um, I, I, personally, I find that hard to believe. I think it's a, I think it's a good, solid, like, starting point for this movie and the movie bursts off in a bunch of different directions from there. I think the starting point for this movie was the opening weekend of Tomorrowland, personally. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Bradford would, would oh, maybe gosh. argue. But, hey, fair play to Brad Bird, because he came back to Pixar and made Incredibles 2, which is really good. Uh, Andrew Stanton retreated to Pixar and made Finding Dory, which is a fucking abomination. So... Um, <laughs> And I would argue, whilst they are both bad, Tomorrowland is not nearly as horrible as John Carter. So, um, John Carter has its fans. I know it has its fans. <laughs> they are wrong. <laughs> John Carter of Mirrors. <sighs> oh dear. Um, so yeah, I think I think we're, we've probably mostly taught this movie to. Death. I mean, I would love to. I would love to try and get into all of the themes and try and try and unpick them. I think really what I would need to be able to do that is to sit down and watch it two, three, four times to maybe sit with this movie for a couple of years and go. So it, he was he was kind of exploring that stuff there, and then we pivot into this stuff over here. Um, I I came out of this movie with like a wash of thoughts. I was like. I can't quite 
I can't quite like nail that movie in a sentence. I can't quite say this is what Brad Bird wanted to say and wanted me to take away from Incredibles 2. But what I have been taken away is just, oh, that was interesting. Mm, that that idea was interesting. And that what he was doing with that character there was fascinating. Um, and so I think it's probably a movie that is... I don't know that it's maybe it's it's lesser than the sum of its parts potentially but I'm happy with all, I'm happy with just experiencing all of those parts in a row next to each other <laughs> do you know what I'm trying to get at there was it not at no point in that movie was I anything less than entertained yeah. and throughout engaged, the movie right? I, I, just... I was engaged I, I I loved I loved I loved watching it I think I think the the, the the thing is, the the original Incredibles is fifteen years ago. We've seen it on DVD and Blu-ray a million times since then, mm. and I think we've just had that time for that for it to percolate through for for us to know exactly what that film's about. And yeah, we've already, we've 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 all sat here. We've seen this film once, and it's very it's 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 very difficult to to um to get the, to get a, a sense of what the lasting effect of this film is. Just because we've seen the other ones so many times, yeah, and I, I don't think it particularly matters that actually on a on a basic plot level, how similar this is to the first movie. Because I do think I do think below the surface, it's it's pulling at a lot of different strings than the first one. It's 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 doing the first stuff again, but it's going it's kind of darting off in different directions as well. But I mean, you like uh, uh, Gary, you wouldn't know, but the Toy Story movies like. Um, kind of do explore the same theme over and over again um and yeah i i personally prefer toy story 3 to toy story 2 even though it's kind of the same movie um and i love them both and i don't mind that pixar did them twice because it just told a different story whatever the similarities and it was just good again so I'm 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 happy with that, and because individual moments and individual scenes pop for me, um, and that's that's the case here. It doesn't matter that essentially that on a surface level the plot is the same because this movie has the motorcycle chase and it has the and it has the raccoon fight and it has Violet in the restaurant mm. and it has and it has um, and it has Elastigirl being interrogated by Evelyn and it has it just there's just. There are so many of those moments and the facts that I think actually like visually, um, this is gorgeous. It's, it's such a step up and obviously yes, 10, 15 years later, it is going to be, but it is, it can't be understated how good this movie looks and you can, this aesthetic, it can, it can be tired. It can, it can become tired because we see it once, if not twice a year because Pixar churn the movies out now um but when you've got a director like brad bird at the helm it doesn't feel like just another pixar movie the incredibles movies i think stand out visually from the rest of the pixar canon yeah yeah i think that's fair (laughs) seb any any final thoughts that you want to um I mean, not really a final additional thought, but just but just a, a reiteration of a thought. As I say, you know, and and given what this podcast is about, um, you know, the the first one will always be held up as uh, as a great movie in in the superhero genre, and and rightly so. But I just think it's nice that that 
this was more of a superhero movie and and seemed to and it's and it's funny because I, I actually I was looking at stuff that Brad Bird had said in advance of it um and he had even said um that the interesting thing that he thought of the first film wasn't the superhero side of it uh, and there's a line where it said you know he it says on the wikipedia page he wanted to avoid tropes related to the superhero genre so i think it's quite interesting that he did do superhero tropes in this and it's it's in no way an exploration of post mcu superhero movies um it, you know and it's not it's not doing a, a deadpool 2 or anything like that but um it it just it lives in the genre more um even though i i'm i'm once again falling back into the trap of calling superhero movies a genre when i also <laughs> say that they're not a genre but you, you know what i mean and and it, and it a, a dominant a dominant cultural force <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it it is more in that tradition. It's doing big superhero scenes of a type that I want to see in superhero movies. And as I say, it's about superheroes and their place in the world in a and way I, that maybe the first one wasn't so much. And I do suspect of a bit more poking at the and 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 more rewatches and like I don't know, maybe actually seeing like a transcript of what Screenslaver says and of what Evelyn says when she, when they are both separately laying out what their supervillain edict is, I think there is some stuff in there where, where Brad Bird is more... is exploring what it means that in 2018, superheroes dominate our culture. And I, and I do think that's in there. I'm just not confident enough to say what he actually thinks. And, and to, to be honest, I, I'm not sure very often I know what Brad Bird thinks. I just think I know what he wants me to think about and so I think about it. <laughs> and that's impressive in a way. <laughs> Gary, do you have any final thoughts before we move on? No, I don't have any final thoughts. God. <laughs> you don't have a thought for the day. I've used, I've used all my thoughts up, I'm afraid. No, I'm just really grateful. I really enjoyed I enjoyed going to see it. I enjoyed um, I enjoyed being on here and uh, and being invited to to, to talk for a long time with people who know about stuff. <laughs> well, it's been, it's certainly been a pleasure so far. <laughs> um, Seb, do you have a comic book recommendation based on Incredibles 2? I'll be honest, I struggle a little bit with this uh, because I think I've recommended the kind of thing I would recommend for something like Incredibles in terms of tone and style and stuff before. But what I can tell you is that there is an Incredibles 2 comic series that like literally just of last week had its first issue published. Weirdly, it's by Dark Horse. And I say weirdly because obviously, you know, Pixar is Disney and Marvel are Disney. Um, but Marvel seemed to have no interest in publishing an Incredibles-related comic. Um, and it was Boom Studios who did the original stuff uh, after the first movie. Uh, but this is Dark Horse. Um, it's I think it's kind of like a prequel. Um, the series is called Incredibles 2, Crisis in Midlife and Other Stories. Uh, it's written by Christos Gage, who you might recognise from co-writing um, Bits and Bobs of Dan Slott's Spider-Man run. Um, I think he probably did stuff on Spider-Verse. Um, I'm sure he did stuff on uh, the, the clone conspiracy arc and that kind of thing. He's he di basically dipped in and out to help Dan Slott on stuff. Uh, and it's drawn by Guri Huri, um, the uh, art collective who are probably best known for drawing um, The Unbelievable Gwenpool, which is the surprisingly excellent series based on a 
cover art concept that crossed <laughs> over. Um, well, it's not Gwenpool isn't Gwen Stacy, but it's basically Gwen Stacy meets Deadpool or Spider Gwen meets Deadpool. Uh, but yeah, De- uh, Gwenpool was a great series, and the art on that it's a it's a kind of you know quite Japanese inspired cartoony look. But the the style the style of this shifts a little more into that kind of. Um, retro 60s cartoony look um, you know a little bit of a kind of Hanna-Barbera look to it but uh, still kind of a little bit more a little bit more kind of classy and timeless than that so but anyway yeah it's, it's, it's a really nice looking book and it's fun it's not you know it's not as good as the movie but it's I've read the first issue and it's quite enjoyable so check that out if you want more of, of the Incredibles world the, uh, it's, it's got Bon Voyage in it as well oh, oh. Right now, I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> that was all I needed to say. Up yeah, to, it's a comic about Bon Voyage. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, okay, uh, so I guess all that remains to be said is what the pitch will be on the next mini-sode. Uh, Gary, you are welcome if you want to contribute one for this. Um, you can just record it and send it in, or tell me what it is, and we can play it on the mini-sode. Because um, I mean, Andrew did, and he won the pitch by doing it. <laughs> Although right. Seb on okay. Twitter and and Andrew said that he thought that you should have won. <laughs> yeah, can I retrospectively get that that win back? No. <laughs> um, so this week, um, I like I was thinking I've probably like exhausted all of the obvious ones for like animated movie uh, or like superhero animated movie or what would a like I, I could have asked you what 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 you picture Incredibles three. Um, I was struck by how interesting a villain Screenslaver was and how little we actually get of Screenslaver as a concept. So I want you to imagine that Screenslaver, that concept of a character who is rebelling against society, being obsessed by the screens and using it against society. I want you to put Screenslaver into a Marvel or DC movie and I want to know which hero you want them to go up against. Um Okay. That's so yeah, that will be the pitch on the next episode. As I say, Gary, if you want, if you want to join in, absolutely go for it. You'll probably win. I expect so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that is it for this week's podcast. Gary, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been a pleasure to thank you for chat having Incredibles me. Thank you. you. Um, is there anything? Do you want to let our listeners know where they can find you online on Twitter or where they can find your work online? Well, you can find me at Gary Bainbridge. It's Gary underscore Bainbridge because I was too slow uh, on Twitter. Or you could Does the to... actual Gary Bainbridge tweet? The actual Gary Bainbridge is locked. He's an um, uh. he's, he's 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 a scoutmaster in um, in Glasgow. <laughs> I'd like to say that I am the actual Gary Bainbridge as well. I mean, I was probably there first. God. Um, so I think I think he's uh, I think he's locked. He does get a lot of my, mo- my a lot of my mail. I don't think he, he enjoys it particularly, but uh, stuff him. Um, At Joe and- Cunningham has one follower. Oh, he's following one person, has 10 followers, and has never tweeted. Wow. That's, <sighs> that's impressive. Or you can get me at GaryBainbridge.com if you want to read my columns. I can't imagine why I'd want to, but apparently I can, I can, do. I can heartily recommend doing Thank so. you very much. <laughs> uh, and, so, and yes. the stuff that's been collected into at least one book. Two, two books, two, books. two, yeah. two. Go to my website, you'll find them. Don't worry. All right, so that's where you can find Gary online, listeners. Um, 
As for us, if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. Um, and I believe we have someone to thank this week. I don't know if you've got it up in front of you, Seb. Uh, I'm going to very, very quickly stall for time. I found it. Chris, Chris Rushbrook. Uh, James manages our Patreon, which is why we're not on top of this. <laughs> he texted us to tell us who Yes. <laughs> James, who's currently in India with no plans to watch Incredibles 2. Um, so yeah, Chris Rushbrook, thank you very much for becoming one of our new patrons. Um, and yeah, you can find more episodes of the show at cinematicuniverse.com. You can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter, at cine underscore verse. Or send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. Between when you're listening to this and um, our next episode coming out, which is the Comic-Con episode, you will have experienced Comic-Con. So if you have any questions about news that has broken over the Comic-Con weekend, send those in and we'll probably have space to address them because our Comic-Con episodes are normally fairly bumper affairs. There's a lot of news that comes out over that weekend. Uh, So do please get in touch. Uh, But until then, thanks for listening and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Can I warm you up? Yes, please. How's the pie? So good. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Spider-Man 3.